Wow. So I spoke for 16 minutes and base stop and basically wasted all of that time. So <laughs> that sucks big time. Okay. So we're going to start this over. Okay. Uh, if any of you ever get on and you notice there's no sound, can you please tell me before I'm 16 minutes in? <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. And I think the topic um, is going to be very interesting for you guys. And we'll probably do it over the next several uh, urgent educations. And hopefully you guys can hear me now. If you cannot hear me, please uh, put that in the comments. And uh, I was shocked at what I learned. And I'm going to base uh, what we discuss on this handy little book called The Second Amendment by David Barton. Now, I've studied other books but I like how small this is. It's an easy read. Some of you may not even have time to read this small of a book. So we're just going to go through some of the things. But the first thing that is important is to, number one, define the sources of our interpretation and um, investigation. But also, uh, I got to say from the start that the Constitution is not a mystery. We have the Federalist Papers. We have the Anti-Federalist Papers, which was a debate of the Federalists, which the Federalists basically wanted to create a federal government. They wanted it to be a product of a compact between the states. Uh, and then, well, that might be on your end, Arena. I don't know because I'm, I'm off of anything else. Hopefully it's on your end. Um, I, I don't know how to test it. So, uh, guys, if anyone else is on here... And I'm cutting in and out. Can you please let me know if that's happening to you or if it's not happening to you so that I don't do this over and over and over again like it's Groundhog Day. But anyway, so on the Constitution, um, we have the original intent of the Founding Fathers from the Federalist Papers, from the Anti-Federalist Papers. We have their debates on the floor. We have um, their personal correspondence and thoughts. We have all of these writings to tell us what they meant uh, uh, by the things that they put in the Constitution. And, and so it's important to know that because people will tell you that the Constitution is a living document or they'll tell you that we can't understand it because, you know, obviously the people that wrote it are no longer here. That's not true. Their voice carries on. So as far as our study, we're going to look at four sources uh, for our, our uh, discussion on the Second Amendment. The first one will be America's earliest legal commentaries, specifically Blackstone's uh, commentaries on the law. We'll be looking at the, the writings of the Founding Fathers. We'll be looking at early state laws and state constitutions, which actually shocked me on what they had in their laws regarding uh, the right to bear arms. Now, within the legal commentaries, it, that's a, there's a lot of the influence for the Constitution and the amendments and the Bill of Rights. And some of them even go back, Blackstone's in particular, goes back to 1766, which we'll look at in a second. But listen to this. Examining these commentaries, which often contain the legal writings which influence the framing of the Second Amendment, as well as the writings of those who drafted that amendment, is vital to understanding the reasoning behind and scope of protection intended by that amendment. Constit uh, common error in constitutional interpretation is a failure to examine a document according to its original meaning. And um, 
It's kind of like the idea that God is mysterious. Well, he's not mysterious to those who know him because according to 1 John chapter 1, I think it might be verse uh, 5 or 6, it says that God is pure light. And light means he is manifest. He is visible. He is plain. And so the only mystery comes when we don't understand something because we're trying to interpret it through our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. You can only interpret the word through the author of the word, and that is Holy Spirit. So it's spirit to spirit. So it's the same thing with the Constitution. We don't have to guess what they meant. We can read their writings. They tell us what they meant. It's that simple. People want you to think that the Constitution is hard to understand because then you will not educate yourself. And by the way, I'm now an official Constitution coach. So I'll be doing some live and online trainings, probably some hybrid. Now, um, one of the, the uh, quotes that I'd like to have here, I believe is Noah Webster. Uh, and that's the guy that started the Webster Dictionary. He said, whenever words are understood in a sense different from that which they had been introduced, mistakes may be very injurious or injurious greatly. Uh, Supreme Court uh, Justice William Johnson was admonished by uh, Thomas Jefferson. I mean, this stuff has been going on since the beginning when he said on every question of construction, carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates. And instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, Conform to the probable one in which it passed. So already people were trying to add interpretations and ideas about the Constitution not long after the founding of this country. And so Thomas Jefferson's telling the Supreme Court Justice, you don't need to do that. You just, you know, don't try to twist the Constitution so that you can give a decision that you want to give. That's not your job as a Supreme Court justice. Your job is to render an opinion that upholds the supreme law of the land, which is the Constitution. He said, don't try to squeeze out stuff out of the text or even invent something that is completely against the Constitution. Instead, you just need to conform to the one, the probable constitutional intent, which we have again in the writing. So, you know, even way back then they had problems. Signer James Madison also agreed. He said, I entirely concur in the propriety of resorting to the sense in which the Constitution was accepted and ratified by the nation. Now, let me explain the ratification process. So I talked about one of the first urgent educations, how uh, the states became states instead of colonies, July 2nd, uh, 1776. And then we did our Declaration of Independence, 17, uh, July 4th, 1776. The states are sovereigns, so we're sovereigns within a sovereign, okay? So we're sovereigns within a country. That's why we're called the United States of America. So the states as sovereigns entered into a compact together in order to agree and vote upon the Constitution. So the Constitution is the product of the states. The Constitution created and defined the federal government. So the order of power is we the people, states, federal government. The federal government, their duties are confined clearly by Article 1, which is the Congress, Article uh, 2, which is the president, the executive, Article 3, which is the uh, judicial branch. And uh, so he, that, that's why 
you cannot say that the Constitution gave us our rights because we produce the Constitution, but on top of that, which we'll get into, our rights were given to us by God, therefore they cannot be taken away. And that was original founding father's thought and intent, not a modern construction. In that sense alone, it is a legitimate Constitution. And if that be not the guide in expounding it, there can be no security for a consistent and stable more than for a faithful exercise of its powers. Now listen to this. What a metamorphosis would be produced in the code of law if all of its ancient phraseology were to be taken in its modern sense. Now, this is James Madison. He signed the Constitution, and they're already calling the language um, in uh, ancient phraseology. Now, why is he saying that? I am going to um, go down five documents which is where our founding fathers got the Constitution from. Okay, so that'll be a future training, uh, thanks to Chris Ann Hall. Um, but for right now, we're going to look at the fact that he said ancient phraseology, which it wasn't long after we formed the Constitution. He's saying, if we try to take it in its modern sense, in other words, apply modern thought, modern language, modern culture and opinion to the Constitution, then it will actually ruin the Constitution. They formed the Constitution uh, as a way um, to have a supreme law that lasted throughout the span of the country. It's not a living document that changes. That was never their intent. Their intent was to create it in such a way that it would stand the test of time. So don't buy into this whole nonsense that we need to change the language. Um, in fact, an example is um, the National Emergency uh, Act of 1776, which was passed by Congress. Uh, the thing is, is that they Congress basically gave the right to declare an emergency to the president. You can't give your rights away to another branch. They're co-equal. And so even though they passed a law and it's legal for the president to do a state of emergency, it's not constitutional. And so we need people that know the dang constitution, right? So he's saying there, you know, people are always going to try to add meanings and squeeze out every little bit of something they can get from the constitution. Here's the reality. We have in Article 5 the ability to amend the Constitution, and they made it very hard on purpose for this very reason that here we are, not even the founding fathers aren't even dead yet, and people are trying to change the meaning of the Constitution. So this has been going on for years and years and years. It's amazing. James Wilson, he was an original uh, justice on the Supreme Court. He said the first and governing maxim in the interpretation of a statute, get this, is to discover the meaning of those who made it. So you go to the original source. Joseph Joseph Story, who was appointed to the Supreme Court by uh, James Madison, said, the first and fundamental rule in the interpretation of all documents is to construe them according to the sense of the terms and the intentions of the parties. All they're saying is you understand the Constitution in the context of those who wrote it. And again, Federalist Papers, Anti-Federalist Papers, debates on the floor, uh, personal records, and uh, legal commentaries all tell us plainly what they meant. Now, here's the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. 
This, I mean, the stuff we're going to go over the, over the next several episodes are going to be amazing. The Second Amendment was to protect what was frequently called the first law of nature. This is the right of self-protection. The right of self-protection was in fact considered an inalienable right, a right guaranteed to every citizen individually. Okay, so what does this mean? The first law of nature, self-protection, means that God, the creator, gave to every uh, human being the right to protect themselves from danger. Okay, so that means we have to be able to uh, carry arms, bear arms. Because God gave us that right, he is superior and no man can take it away. No government, no city, no state, no neighbor, no one can take away the right to bear arms. It is an inalienable right. And inalienable rights are defined in the Declaration of Independence, uh, but they're not confined just to there. Anything that can be given to you by man can be taken away by man. But anything that is a right of your existence, that cannot be taken away. Now, people will be like, oh, well, then that means I can abort my child or I can identify as a, a female, as a man and go dance pornographic dances in front of children. No, because liberty is the combination of freedom plus morality, right? So my right cannot harm or take away your rights or your ability to protect yourself. That's why murder is against the law because it's the ability to bear arms, but you cannot use it to harm another just because you feel like it, okay? You can't go onto someone's property and smash out all the windows with a pickaxe. You can't do that. And so these are things that we have to understand, rights from God versus rights from man. Man will always try to take away rights from God, especially people that don't believe in him, okay? So this is an inalienable right, the right of self-protection, but it goes even deeper. It's crazy. Constitutional uh, signer, constitution signer John Dickinson, like many of other, others of his day, defined an inalienable right as a right which God gave to you, which no inferior power has a right to take away. And they also, our founders, believed it was the duty of government to protect inalienable or God-granted rights from encroachment or usurp usurpation. Man, that's, every time I have to say that word, I get jacked. Now, you got, okay, this, I get a little bit excited. <laughs> I love words. I love learning. Them. Oh, Darina, did I have sound to begin with, hopefully? Or has it been the whole time? Hang on, guys. I may have to start over. This is crazy. Darina, can you hear me? And can you tell me if it, I just lost sound? Oh, you're kidding. Well, okay, so let me go ahead and stop this and I guess start over. That's amazing. It It's bringing the audio from the first video that didn't have any sound. Man, it almost makes you wonder if there's a little bit of interference going on here. I don't know if y'all could hear that, but the last video that I deleted off Facebook, it started playing the last bit on my end. I don't know if it played it on your end. Getting pretty weird. Okay, so I get really excited when I find truths that I had no idea about. Listen to this. 
So this is um, James Wilson, again, one of the founders. He signed both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. He was also one of the original uh, Supreme Court justices, and he also helped lay the foundation for the American system of ju jurisprudence and the first organized system of legal training in America. Wilson taught his students that the specific protections found in our government documents did not create new rights, but rather secured old rights, that our documents were merely, quote, to acquire a new security for the possession or the recovery of those rights to which we were previously entitled by the immediate gift or by the unerring law of our all-wise and all-beneficent creator. He also said every government which has not this view as its principal object is not a government of the legitimate kind. So here's what he's saying. Any government that tries to regulate or take away rights given to you by God is tyrannical and it is not legitimate. Okay? So like I said, they're probably not going to try to physically take away Americans' rights to bear arms, but they may try to regulate them out to where it's too expensive and too difficult to own firearms. Okay? John Adams said, rights are antecedent to all earthly governments. Rights cannot be appealed or restrained by human laws. Rights are derived from the great legislator of the universe. Okay, so again, God, he has all power and all authority. He gave us our rights. No one can take it away. Now, in um, Alexander Hamilton's opinion, he said that the supreme being has invested man with an inviolable right to personal liberty and personal safety. So basically what they're saying is the Second Amendment simply secured in writing rights which God has already given us. So you got to understand the Constitution does not give you your rights. The Constitution is to just secure those by a legal document, okay? Our rights come from God. So if you think your rights come from a piece of paper, you're actually probably in trouble because your legal argument is faulty from the start. But if you know that your rights are inalienable, then you can have some uh, legal standing. In fact, uh, New York, a judge reversed all of the, the firings of the first responders because they gave religious objections to taking a, a shot and they were fired anyway because of a mandate. We're not kings where you give mandates. That's not how this works. Those are actually, the, they're not legal. So you have a judge that threw out all of that. And the judge also said, not only that, you have to put them all back to work and you have to pay them back pay because it was unconstitutional because religious objection is an inalienable right. And you're gonna start seeing more and more lawsuits where people are like, hey, this was my right. I shouldn't have been fired. And thank goodness, even in New York, they had a judge that said, I absolutely agree. Okay, now get this. I mentioned Blackstone's commentary on the laws that was written in 1776. It was used by the, the British, but we also used it here when we were American colonies. And then our legal uh, system, our judges and our lawyers would also use it post-revolutionary war because it's just a fabulous uh, commentary. 
One of the things it says concerning the right of us to be able to own and use arms is it says, this is the natural right, now hear this word, of resistance and self-preservation when the sanctions of society and laws are found insufficient to restrain the violence of oppression. Did you hear what I just said? This, this, okay, let me read it again. This is the natural right of resistance and self-preservation when the sanctions of society and laws are found insufficient to restrain the violence of oppression. So if you look at the cities where they have bail reform, you look at these George Soros bought and paid for DAs that let convicted killers, child molesters, all these people out. You look at uh, drag queens dancing to pornographic songs and moves in front of children, which is against the law, by the way. When you look at crazy people that burn down buildings, smash windows with an infant sleeping right by one, and all of this other crazy stuff, when you see that kind of stuff, that is exactly what he is talking about here. In fact, New Yorkers, Californian people, California people, they need to arm up. They really do. And um, that way they can protect themselves against the violence of oppression. Now, here's the thing. Um, a lot of people are like, well, you know, we don't want our schools shot up. You know, we don't want little children killed. Absolutely. But the ability to protect our children should never involve the idea, the thought, or the argument to infringe upon the right that I have of self-protection. There's easier ways to solve the problem. Israel had the same problem. People were coming in, shooting up their schools. Guess what? They armed the teachers. The teachers that wanted to be armed, they armed them. And it quit. All of that. All of that stopped. So there's solutions. And uh, we need to make sure that we make smart decisions. He goes on to say, to vindicate these rights when actually violated or attacked, the citizens are entitled in the first place to the regular administration and free course of justice in the courts of law and next to the right of petitioning the government for redress of grievances, and lastly, to the right of having and using arms for self-preservation and defense. They also believed, I'm going to end with this because I've got a couple things I need to do, and because I didn't have sound on the last one, I'm late. But the founding, our founders further believed that it was a duty for every citizen to be willing to exercise that right, the right of self-protection, when necessary. James Wilson declared homicide is required when it is necessary for the defense of one's person or house. It is the great natural law of self-preservation, which, as we have seen, cannot be repealed or superseded or suspended by any human institution. This law, however, is expressly recognized in the Constitution of Pennsylvania. The right of the citizens to bear arms in the defense of themselves shall not be questioned. Every man's house is deemed by the law to be his castle. And the law, while it invests him with the power, places on him the duty of the commanding officer of his house. Every man's house is his castle. And if anyone be robbed in it, it shall be esteemed his own default and negligence. Let me just break this down, okay?
So basically he's saying this, you are the policeman. You are the sheriff of your home, your property. It's your castle. If anyone tries to come into your home to rob you or harm you, you have the right to kill them. That's, that's what it's saying. You know, nowadays they'll say, well, no, you can't do it. If they, even if they're robbing you, you can't do it unless they're going, they're going after you. No, 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 nope. Actually, the original intent is if anyone tries to break into my home or if anyone tries to harm me or my family, I'm going to take my nine mil out and I'm going to do what I need to do. And so James Wilson is saying homicide is necessary in those instances because I'm the sheriff protecting my castle. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Zephaniah Swift, author of America's first legal text in 1792, also said self-defense or self-preservation is one of the first laws of nature, which no man ever resigned upon entering society. It's pretty incredible, guys. So I wanted to just get started. There is so much more. I mean, it's amazing. And, and again, um, Second Amendment by David Barton. Excuse me. I've read other things on it, but his is one of the best. It's a small read, a short read, but a lot of you don't even have time for that. So I just wanted to break down the key points that will emphasize that this idea of the right to protect ourselves by bearing and carrying arms is not a new one. And it is something that is inalienable. No man has that right to take it away. In fact, some of these red flag laws need to be challenged. And I understand the meaning behind them, but they're not constitutional. And in fact, they should be voted on. Um, if we want to amend the Constitution, then that needs to be the process. So it's important to understand your rights and urgent education. That's why we're doing these, because our rights are being eroded or regulated out. And it's an uncomfortable topic to discuss killing somebody that tries to kill you or break into your home. That's not something that's comfortable, but that is something our founding fathers uh, knew very well because of the time they lived in as well as uh, Britain and the, the problems we had with them. So anyway, this is our part one. We'll continue this. I might even do a couple uh, during the week if I have time, but for now, for sure next week, but I might get on here this weekend. If y'all don't mind me looking like a slug with no makeup and wearing pajamas, I'm happy to teach on the right to carry and bear arms uh, like that. So if y'all don't mind that, comment below. I'll get on. But if you get scared, let me know. I'll pray for you guys. You know what I'm saying? All right. So I've got to hit the gym, do a couple little uh, computer things, and I will see you soon. And I hope these are helpful. Let me know if these urgent educations are helpful. All right. See you soon.